standing up here to preach after rehearsing the awesome story we just heard seems more than just a little anticlimactic. I I feel small by comparison, hardly capable of adding an additional thought that would provide the crucial clue to the overarching meaning of what we just heard. Some years I feel differently. Some years I'm full of myself, believing I have an inspired nugget of insight. That, of course, is the curse of the self-assured preacher that can manifest in rather unpleasant condescension. Not that you've ever experienced that here, of course. (laughs) And honestly, sometimes when I step up here, I really do wonder what on earth I think I'm doing. I'm well versed in the theological frameworks concerning the necessity and importance of preaching and the power of attending to what we Protestants refer to as the word of the Lord And I generally subscribe to these frameworks, which is a good thing, I suppose, given my occupation. I've had a fine education and many years of experience, but then, as you well know, neither of those two things predict that what a preacher has to say does any earthly good. But now those of you who know my wife Melissa know that I married very well, lest I should find myself thinking more of my output than I ought to. I've shared with some of you some years ago that a couple of years into both my marriage and my ministry, Melissa provided just the appropriate counterpoint to an ambitious preacher's ego. It went down like this. Being a rather earnest and modestly arrogant young cleric who wanted to be known to deliver a useful word that was well received, I regularly asked Melissa for a review after the Sunday service. It might come sooner or it might come later, but sometime before we fell asleep, if she had not already volunteered a point of view, which rarely happened, I would say something like, so, what did you think of the sermon? And she would dutifully provide a generally positive, rarely critical comment in a somewhat ambivalent manner. (laughs) But after a year of this repetitive behavior, that she no doubt saw trickling forward into our misty future week after week, year after year, she finally told her truth with a great big sigh after yet one more repetition of, so what did you think about the sermon? And she said, you know, Steve, I don't go to church for the sermons. I go for the music. (laughs) It was very heartfelt. (laughs) 
And honestly, this was a very clarifying moment that I've never forgotten. Though her response was layered with several motivations and meanings, it made me more aware of my actual place in relation to the great mystery we honor here. In other words, one of the very first things we say today is that this story teaches humility. What it is. Some weeks, on some occasions, I feel humbler than others. Some years, this humility hits me more acutely as Lent moves into its climaxing week. It comes with the tension I experience between my personal spiritual engagement with the material and the necessity of my occupation to talk about it. And I am an extrovert who likes to think out loud. But as a matter of personal experience... The truth is, I am compelled into silence by this story. That's one reason I don't often preach on Good Friday. Nevertheless, I hope you will come to our service and allow yourselves the humbling gift of being brought to silence before the cross with open hands and heart. One of the main reasons I fall silent before this story is that it, this story gave birth to my faith. The story captured my mind and heart and soul. It's the reason I wound up doing this gig. This is it. This walk Jesus took taking Jerusalem by storm one day climbing Calvary's hill, lugging the means of his death the next day, then hanging there utterly alone. Each year I'll take the time to read and consider all four gospel versions of the Passion story because each has its unique elements. This seems to make it more human, like how four witnesses to a traffic accident tell a somewhat different story with slightly different facts based upon their location and frame of mind and whom they're addressing. I call myself a Christian because this story converted me, and I'm somewhat hard-pressed to tell you exactly how that happened. On that specific point, I'm at a loss for words. I am brought to profound silence. Nothing I could report would touch the change itself. It came to me as kind of a gift, I guess. I can tell you that no one talked me into it. I was not coerced or otherwise manipulated into believing a set of religious propositions, nor was I scared about my eternal destination. In early years, I was especially captured by Matthew's inclusion of Jesus' cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Luke, you heard today Luke's version. He didn't report that, but Matthew does. The way the story reads, the Son of God experiences utter forsakenness, utter loss and despair, complete emptiness. 
I had some inkling about that. Have you? A startly, startling and intensely human experience that is summarized, dignified and hallowed. And then Jesus died. After six or so hours of torture, he spent out his breath. And somehow death was hallowed as well. As I mentioned last week, death is the great fear. Look behind any ambition and you will find death as motivator. I mean, without it, would we be spurred to do anything at all? As William Sloan Coffin argued, consider the alternative, life without death. Life without death would be interminable. We'd take days just to get out of bed, weeks to decide what's next. Students would never graduate. Meetings would go on for months. Without growing old, there can be no growing up. Without tears, no laughter. Without death, there can be no living. And Jesus is the one who teaches, demonstrates, reveals that death is not worthy of our fear. It does not, cannot separate us from God. Though he die, yet shall he live, said Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Summarizing his own experience of Christ, Paul wrote, We do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. And so, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Paul came to that realization because he was also captured by Jesus' story, and this revealed to him that the abyss of God's love is deeper than the abyss of death. And she who overcomes her fear of death lives as though death were a past and not a future experience. When that happens, we're able to pray with quiet confidence. Loving one, help me to live as one who is prepared to die. And when my days here are accomplished, help me to die as one who goes forth to live so that living or dying, my life may be in you, and nothing will be able to separate me from your great love in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the great summary of our faith, friends. To live prepared to die, and to die as though prepared to live. It's awesome, astonishing, incredible, breathtaking, and converting. For myself, I guess I would tell you that the tables reversed somehow. Rather than my attempting to interpret this story, I awoke one day to find that the story was interpreting me. And I was hooked, gone, or better, found. I was found, like it says in the famous hymn, Amazing grace. 
I hadn't thought myself a wretch exactly, but I knew what John Newton meant when he wrote those well-known words. You know them, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. There's a reason that hymn hangs on and on in our cultural cloud. It's the same reason Jesus' story has captured the hearts and minds of billions of people over centuries. Hearing the story was, for me, like hearing the sound of amazing grace. Like Melissa knew instinctively, It was indeed a kind of music that groans deeper than words. And in a few minutes, we'll be concluding our service by singing this simple but very powerful question. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Consider that an invitation.